0: one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to track for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right
1: field line. Way right back there. And an RBI hit by Mitchie Poe. She's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is out. VO2 pitch. Look at this. up. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast. I'm Nathan Ackerman coming at you with an episode as philly's spring training is now fully underway they've played about two or three games or so and we're here to talk about all the latest philly's news and all the all the buzz down in camp um joining me on this episode is somebody who was down in spring training for a lot of the last week or so destiny legardo from philly's nation how are you doing thanks for thanks for joining the pod
0: doing well nathan how are you doing
1: I'm well, too. It's nice to finally have some uh, Phillies games to watch. It's been a lot of like, you know, the offseason was was short, but I think with how well they, they did last year, it felt just as long as the last few. And we were just waiting to see, you know, what the somewhat new look team would look like. And um, yeah, they look pretty good. It's been fun to watch them. Obviously, there's some there's some big storylines with camp competitions happening Um specifically on the pitching side, which we can get into a little bit later in the show. But you were down in spring training for a um, few days this past week. What were some of your observations, your takeaways from 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 camp? Um, just what were some of the things that stood out to you as you made the trip down to Clearwater?
0: Yeah, I was there last week, Monday to Thursday. So we're recording right now, February 28th. So I was there the day before full squad full squads were reporting um technically that didn't really matter because most of the guys were there anyway besides Bryce Harper and Gregory Soto that was the first spring training I've ever been to so I honestly can't compare it to another one but I can compare it to what I saw during the postseason last year and I would say a lot of that looseness that came about from winning and finally making the playoffs is carrying over to to this camp um I mean, spirits are high, you know, guys are talking to each other in the clubhouse. It's not just like a, sometimes there's complaints about the Phillies, whether they're a little bit clicky, a little bit clicky or um, the chemistry is just not there. Um, It's pretty, it's pretty cool to see a team come together. And I think that's what spring is for. Um, It's nice to see some of the new guys, Josh Harrison, Trey Turner, um, painter obviously he's a a big storyline in camp and he's a 19 year old but if you didn't know that you wouldn't have known that just because of the amount of poise that he has and the amount of confidence that he has in in himself and the way he interacts with his teammates so um, it was interesting to see all that really unfold
1: yeah when you talk about the whole like you know, the, how, how, how well the clubhouse clicks kind of thing. What one thing we keep on hearing every day down there in uh, spring training is all the trash talk, like, um, you know, Kevin Long is talking trash to all the players about all, you know, various kinds of things. And Trey Turner said that he's had more trash talk to him in the past couple of weeks than he's like ever had in his life. How you Lee said the best way to learn uh, English is through trash talk and that being there with this team at, at this camp has helped him in that aspect. And then when Schwarber took Painter deep, he was, you know, he was talking trash to him then. And even prior to that, he was like, When are you going to throw a live BP? Are you scared? Something like that. So, one of those things that, you know, there's a lot of the same core that was there last year with that run is still there, but there are some new faces. And as you said, you kind of wondered how, how <clears throat> that would affect the clubhouse. And it seems like they are. Uh picking up where they left off last year, which is always good to see.
0: Yeah, there's still a mix of guys. Like I think Schwarber, we all know well that he is the leader of that clubhouse and he offers a little bit of everything on a leadership side, whether he would speak up or whether he would make somebody laugh or um just say something really when something needs to be said. Um, the media responsibilities he has. Um, if you have Schwarber, I think you have a pretty good clubhouse and that could apply for pretty much all 30 teams in the league. That's just how good of a guy he is. Um, and there's, there's, I would say there's leaders all around the clubhouse. And like I said before, there were previous years with the Phillies where you would say, where's the leadership? Um, you know, where's the chemistry with this team, but if you have, you know, young guys like Brandon Marsh, you see the way he interacts with people and just kind of the energy he brings it. If you see it up close, it's nothing different than what you see online. Um, and a lot of the young guys too, they bring the energy and um, guys like Hoskins have been there forever. Aaron Noll is a guy that leads by example. So there's a little bit of everything in that clubhouse um, and it's something good for, for Phillies fans. Cause there are some years where that really lacks, um, but this year that's not really the case.
1: Yeah, some of the content down there has been great, like when they mic'd up Stubbs and he was, you know, he just seems like he kind of just talks that like, you know, into the void and whoever's going to listen is going to listen. And it's it's always entertaining to hear that they mic'd up Ranger Suarez um, a few days into camp, which was fun as well, because he's, you know, a fun guy. But who who were some of the some of the interviews, some of the people that you talked to down there, um, whether one on one or in media scrums that. You know, seemed like they were, you know, had 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 a lot to do with the new energy and, um, you know, sort of that thing that 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 you were you were talking about where, you know, there's a there's just a, a ton of life there. And guys like Marsh are like, you know, all over the place and like barking at people. So who 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 were some of the most, most fun um, interviews or interactions that you or the media had down in spring training when you were there?
0: Yeah. Speaking of Marsh, he's just one of those guys that you don't even have to like talk to him one-on-one and you could kind of feel his energy. Um, and that, that really carries throughout the clubhouse and Stubbs is also one of those guys that is just loud and out there. And, uh, you know, he's also pretty intelligent to, to talk to, um, Schwarber, obviously just kind of talking one-on-one, you get a, a good feel of the clubhouse, but yeah, it's not even just like Talking one on one with the guys, you got to get a sense of, of where everybody is just by seeing how they interact with everybody and seeing, um, seeing their work and just seeing how how excited really guys are for the season.
1: Yeah, so I guess we can get into some of the news. We actually we weren't thinking about this when we planned to record right now, but just a few hours ago, um, the Athletic came out with a story about how. Reese Hoskins and the team haven't really had any talks about extensions, which is obviously noteworthy because they've been obviously extending a lot of guys over, you know, the past couple of weeks. And they've been talking about extensions with a few more guys. But it seems like there's not a whole lot of traction on that front. Um, obviously, it's still it's still spring. There's still seven months to go until the off season, And there's a lot that could happen there. But I I, I do think it's at least noteworthy that, you know, they haven't made any ground, or there's no there's been no conversation so far. What 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 was kind of your take on that? Um, how telling do you think that is about Reese Hoskins' future with the Phillies?
0: Yeah, the fact that they haven't really had extension talks, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. One, because Reese Hoskins is a Scott Boras client, and he's a Scott Boras client, and typically his clients wouldn't sign a an arb, a, an extension in arbitration before they hit free agency and Reese is one year away from that. And if you look at the market, there's really not a lot of guys that compare to him. you see like Teoscar Hernandez and Matt Chapman and Shohei Otani is just going to blow everybody away. It's unfair to compare him to anybody else, but Reese Hoskins is going to be one of the top bats on the market. So it wouldn't really make sense for him to sign right now. And you could, you could say that about Aaron Nola too, but his situation might be a little bit different. The Phillies want to pay off for him. I think he'll accept the offer, but Um, you know, as far as it not really making sense, I also think it's, it makes sense for the Phillies to wait this out because if you're looking at the organization right now, there's not an exact, um, internal solution for Reese. So the article did mention that they could possibly move Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos to first base at some point. But, you know, if you followed Schwarber when he was playing with the Red Sox, it, they tried to move him to first base and it didn't really work out that well. Um, Castellanos I'm just I'm not sure about that um maybe Alec Bohm does hit for a little bit more power this year and you could talk about moving him over to first base and reasonably penciling him to have Reese Hoskins's production in the coming years um and then possibly doing something else at third base whether it's having Sosa there full time or signing somebody else or trading for somebody else but for the most part I, I think it's it's good for both sides to wait this out and see how it plays. Because I, I also do think there's a world where Reese could just go on a tear in his platform year and really force the Phillies hands and, um and maybe, you know, nobody else emerges and they're like, you know, we got to re-sign Reese um, and Reese's in a good position because he can make a lot of money that way. So I wouldn't be too worried about the Hoskins situation if if you're somebody that, wants to see him back with the Phillies. I don't think this is going to get resolved anytime soon. If you're someone that really doesn't want him back with the Phillies, you're going to have to wait um, at least a year to see if he's going to sign with another team. But um, for the most part, this is what I think everybody expected. It wouldn't make sense for Hoskins to, to sign an extension right now. It wouldn't make sense for the Phillies to lock in um, with Hoskins as their first baseman for a while. So we'll just see if if anything emerges you never know, Derek Hall could suddenly start hitting left-handed pitching and you could talk about him as a possible replacement. Maybe they make a trade at the trade deadline. You never really know. So um, this could play out a lot of different ways. I'm really excited to see what actually happens.
1: Yeah, it. I mean, the the thing with this whole puzzle is, you know, obviously like one of the things you have to consider is who's going to take his place, as you said, and some of the options that are being floated out there like Schwarber to first Castellanos to first Bohm to first it's like I I I think there's this sort of misguided idea that like you could move anybody else to first and they can't possibly be worse in the field than Reese Hoskins is which I I just don't think is necessarily the case like Alec Bohm at first I, it, it, it's not just like you move from third to first and then it would be like that and you're all of a sudden you know a a, a league average you know defensive player there and then Castellanos to first Schwarber to first I mean none of those things sure like maybe if he doesn't have the year offensively that you want to see from him in the contract year maybe it is worth uh you know exploring what other options you can you can you can have there even if it's like a slight downgrade from a defensive perspective but it's like it it's it's tough because he's been like overall year to year he's been pretty consistent it's just within each year it's obviously the highs are super high and the lows are super low and I didn't think that was as extreme last year um, from a like month to month week to week standpoint but the overall uh, stats at the end of the season were a little bit down relative to his past couple years so I think you're right it is it's not I mean they don't have to get him extended in spring they can wait this out and see if it's something that they would be willing to you know save a bit on and explore some other internal options that they have or explore what they can do on the cheaper side in the off season, if that's the route that they want to go. But um, I, I also think just like it seems the way that they've been spending over the past one or two years and the way that they exceeded the second tax for Josh Harrison, it's like money is, is a, is a factor here. And at some point they probably do have, you know, a a stopping point. Like it doesn't seem like he's a Steve Cohen type, but if he goes out there and he puts up like an 840 OPS and the defense is like anything above like the worst in the league, it seems like he's the pretty obvious, you know, long-term option.
0: One thing I don't understand is that people are worried if they sign Aaron Nola and they sign Reese Hoskins where the luxury tax payroll will be. I just don't really understand it because I don't think it's a concern right now for the Phillies. Maybe there's a year where they say Castellanos is a little bit older. Schwarber a little bit older. Ramito a little bit older. Um, and these guys aren't necessarily in their prime. Um, but as a fan, like I, I don't understand why you would worry about that. Especially this is a year where the Phillies should expect to compete for a world series. Um, So, you know, if if Hoskins, if he has a good year, um, if the defense isn't as terrible as people think it is, uh, I don't see why they at least try to explore that. And, you know, one thing that is missing from a lot of these Reese Hoskins conversations, and it's something that we touched on, it's if you're going to say, like, I don't think he's going to be back, then you got to at least name like a, a reasonable replacement for him because it is hard, at least with Aaron Nola. And this is something that I got into in a story that I wrote a few days ago, there is internal solutions for him. If for some reason they didn't resign him and he left for another team, there's painter coming up cable, Griff McGarry, like they have pitching depth. They don't have a lot of position players coming up right now. Um, so and you never know, like things change with the farm system. There's a lot of guys that aren't even on the radar and aren't even on rankings. And then they have a good year and then they emerge and then something happens. And, you know, maybe, there's some guy that comes out of the comes out of nowhere and, uh, contribute. Some people were saying Carlos Dale Cruz, but I don't, I would love to see that happen. I just, I just don't know. Um, and he's an outfielder too. So that's something he would have to adjust to playing first base. And maybe that's part of the reason why he is getting some reps over there, but yeah, I would just like to say, you know, if you're talking about Reese Hoskins and the possibility of the Phillies, just letting him go, you got to think of some better solutions and, uh, just moving Shorebird to first or Castellanos to first. Cause it, it just doesn't really make sense to be honest.
1: Yeah. Well, why don't we get into the pitching side, as you kind of touched on a, uh, a few moments ago, obviously the big storyline in spring training this year, Andrew Painter, uh, he's going to make his spring debut, I believe tomorrow, Wednesday, Wednesday, um, you saw him with a couple not not in a game but live batting practices. You were there when Schwarber hit a ball that I didn't see it, but people are talking about it like it went 450. Um obviously Mick Abel, Griff McGarry are also there as well. Andrew Painter's probably, you know, attracting most of the attention there just because of where his timeline is at, the fact that he could break, you know, the team out of out of camp. What what did you see from him? What did you hear from him? What's been the buzz around Andrew Painter in spring um, and the other two guys, too, because that is like really, you know, as you said, if there's one thing that the organization, at least from like a future standpoint perspective, is known for, it's those three arms that could all be in the big league staff one day and all could be, you know, pretty good. So what what did you see out of any of those guys and what kind of stood out to you watching them over the past few days?
0: Yeah, I mean, with Painter, I've been blown away by him in more ways than one, just one watching him pitch and the stuff it's, it's for real. Um, and even though, you know, he gave up that home run against Kyle Schwarber, I was also impressed by the way he responded to that. Um, he was asked about like, you know, how did that pitch come out of your hands? And he was like, you know, you know, it could go up or it could go down and it, kind of messed up on him but he said i have confidence in that curveball and i'm gonna throw it i think that's a really good mentality for any young pitcher to have um yeah. when they give up a home run just you know continue to have confidence in this stuff And he's just a guy that's confident in general and talking to people pretty much anyone when you ask them how are you like when you were 19 and they're like oh like i was not i was insecure i could you know speak for myself um i was shaky if i was in that if i was in his shoes i i wouldn't be dealing with all this um all this media attention all this hype i would not be dealing with with it well um and we see like like sometimes with pitching prospects especially in the phillies organization when they get up here and there's a lot of hype sometimes it just doesn't work out whether it's their stuff isn't as good or um they just don't deal with the attention well i think painter is you know passing every test that um you know that he's had so far um, and I think that's a really good sign. It's really exciting that he's gonna throw his first game on Wednesday. I, I think that's like a a good opportunity for Phillies fans who haven't really watched him in the minor leagues and um haven't really been following what he's been doing um to get a good sense of where he is and you know how well he could do and you know if if he can make the team out of spring. And I, I think there's a really good chance that he can because I think they, they've looked at the situation, just how young he is and the workload and the you know the, the chances that he could be pitching in September and how they're gonna manage it all. And I, I think they they have a good idea. Um and if, if he pitches well, um I I think he can make the team. I really I really do. So um one thing I also want to say, and you know, uh Dave Dombrowski over the offseason, he said. One of these spots is going to be reserved for the, a youngster um, and, you know, Billy Falter, he's not exactly a youngster, but he is in that mix. And I would say that I was also really impressed with the way Bailey Falter is handling this entire situation too, because, you know, if you remember, he was a big reason why they made the playoffs and now he's back into this position where he has to fight. Um, and it's something that he's not familiar with too, because, you know, last year he was up and down at the beginning of the season and he really had to earn his way into the rotation. So, um, a lot has been made of Zach Wheeler and Andrew Painter having a locker next to each other, but Bailey Falter is also right next to Andrew Painter. Um, and he's been around just as like a, a guy that Painter and the young pitchers can ask questions to. And, um, Bailey Falter during that first live BP of the spring, he was right there, um, watching Andrew Painter pitch. So, it was pretty cool to see like how that battle is unfolding and just how professional everyone is about it, especially Falter, who really he doesn't benefit from all this Andrew Painter hype, but he's taking it in stride and just doing the best he can. I think part of it that that helps him is that the Phillies are like every other team. They're going to need like seven or eight starters and Falter definitely fits into that discussion. So Yeah, and even I didn't even get into Abel or McGarry, and I saw McGarry pitch uh, live BP right after Andrew Painter. Um, He looked pretty great. That was the first time that I was seeing him live, and I saw Andrew Painter throw, not Andrew Painter, McAble throw um, a bullpen one morning. Um, I just saw a couple pitches, so I can't really tell you much about that. But, um, yeah, Dave Dombrowski said in his press conference if – you know, if Andrew Painter wasn't here, then Griff Gary, and Abel would be getting a lot more attention. So I guess that's something that could benefit them that it's their first time in camp and there's not a lot of eyes on them. So.
1: Yeah, the way they talk about about Painter is to me, it's it's kind of surprising coming from this team, because I I mean, if look, if this was happening with the Braves, I, I it wouldn't be all that surprising to me because this is what they do they 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 call guys up when they're 21 or they're 20 and they throw them right into the mix and usually they 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 they're good right off the bat because they're the Braves but the Phillies haven't been a team that's really done that we saw they brought up Boone when he was 24 they brought up Spencer Howard who was like at the time this much anticipated prospect when he was he wasn't super young he was maybe I don't know the exact but like 24 25 ish um, we obviously know how that panned out but at the time it was like you know, you had, you had Harper saying if he's not up with this team in 2020 by, you know, the first couple of weeks of the season, then there's, there's a problem here or something like that, which is hilarious in hindsight, of course. But I mean, Andrew Painter's 19, like that is incredibly young. I can't remember the last time this team had somebody who was, I mean, I don't even know if it's ever happened. They had somebody who was 19 playing on the major league club and depending on where he fits in, he could make his first start before he turns 20 <clears throat> which I believe is in the like early April or something like that. So, and, but they, they, they're, they're asked about that. And they say, is it like a little quick for a kid who's only 19, who's been in the minor leagues for, you know, not even three years. And they're like, we think this guy's legit and he could, he, he could help the big league club right now. So it seems like he's kind of in a control his own fate kind of thing. If he goes out there in spring and he's, and he's awesome. It seems like he's the front runner for the job, which is pretty astounding. And I think that would be, um, you know, something we haven't seen from this team in a long, long time, if ever. Um, I still support the idea of going with a six man to start the season. Like when it's the whole painter versus like falter question, I'm kind of a one a both kind of guy, because I think it could help. I I'm usually against it when it's like one guy in the staff could use a little bit extra rest. And so we're going to make everybody go on a six man thing, but I think it could really benefit everybody with, how deep they went last year. The fact that Painter's 19 and, you know, they don't have a cap for his innings this, this year, but it seems like they do want to at least monitor it in some way. I don't think he's going to be throwing 200. So it seems like something that could benefit everyone. There's not really a lot of talk about that. There's going to, there, they seem like they're going to carry 13 in the staff between the, um, the starting staff and the pen. And it looks like that extra 13 spot is going to go to one of their relievers who's vying for that spot um, which we can get into also but so it seems like if it's a battle for the for the fifth for the fifth spot in the starting staff like Andrew Painter I mean they it certainly wouldn't be a bad idea to have him start the season in AAA and just see what he can do there and sort of ease him into things but I mean if he goes out there starting Wednesday and he's a stud and he's I mean it he seems like he's the team is at least fully prepared to give him that spot right out of camp, which is pretty, pretty incredible.
0: Yeah. And I know Keith law talked about this on the podcast last time, but my stance on whether painter should begin in triple a or the majors, I I don't think it's wise to waste any of the innings in triple a. If you believe that painter is ready for the big leagues right now. Um, And you never know, there could be a time where painter struggles and it's obvious that, he may need to spend a little bit of time in AAA just to work on things. So um, I, and I don't really, I wouldn't see a problem with that. So I just think that if you have painter a talent like him and you only have a certain amount of innings to work with, why not just have him in the big leagues? And I think another thing that factors into this equation is that the Phillies are going to miss Bryce Harper for two months. And a lot of times when we talk about how are the Phillies going to replace Bryce Harper, the discussion is limited, limited to the lineup and, who's going to be the designated hitter, but I think you need to replace Harper in other ways, whether it could be, you know, the the bullpen or the starting rotation and people stepping up. And I think painter plays a part in that as well. Um, It's also interesting that you bring up the idea of there being a six man rotation. Um, I definitely think that's something that Rob Thompson will do at certain points in the season, when they get into a busy stretch way where they don't have a day off in two weeks, Um, I know for sure that there's going to be at least five guys in the rotation because I I listened to an interview with Howard Eskin with Rob Thompson and he said, you know, he's he's not going to bring four guys with him just because of the the weird off days and opening day whether, you know, you know how it's Tuesday and then off day Friday. Yeah. Um some teams can kind of alter their rotation that way, but they're going to bring at least five guys with them. So, um yeah, the the whole five-man or six-man rotation, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Another thing that factors into it, if they go with the six-man rotation, I believe that that will leave seven guys in the bullpen, and that means that Noah Song wouldn't make the team because he's the yeah. last guy there. So, um, yeah, and you know, getting into the Noah Song stuff, I was there when he arrived. I was there when the team announced that he was um, – transferred from active service to uh the reserves and this is just like a a crazy situation because i don't think we've dealt with you know this in baseball a guy just hasn't pitched in three years because he was in the military um and the fact that he's a rule five draft and the Phillies only have so much time to evaluate him and see whether this project is worth it um I do applaud the, the Phillies and their creativity in the front office to pick him in the rule five draft. Um, from, I guess from my understanding and from reading into this situation, they had an idea that he was applying for a waiver. Um, it takes like, you know, nine to 10 months to get a resolution on that. So the Phillies didn't really know when this was going to happen and this was all kind of sprung up pretty quickly. So, um, It feels like there's going to be eyes on him every time he's throwing. I know um, just from checking Twitter that he's throwing a bullpen today. So um, I I would like to get your thoughts on this. I I don't see a world where Noah Song makes the team out of camp, but I do see a scenario where um, he legitimately gets hurt just because he hasn't pitched in three years and the injury risk is pretty high. Um, And that's how how the Phillies ultimately end up keeping him or – maybe he goes back to the Red Sox. So, yeah, I, I just want to know, like, what are your thoughts on the whole Noah Song situation?
1: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one. I'm And I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I wanted to get into some of that. But so obviously the the thing holding him back the most when it comes to making the team out of camp isn't even the fact that he hasn't pitched in three years and it isn't even the the injury risk and all those kinds of things. It's, it's, it's the fact that if he's on the roster, he needs to be on the roster for the whole season, right? Or else they just lose him. However, it is true that if you start him on the team and you throw him out there because you at least liked what you saw in spring training enough to the point where you're like, we can try this out. And it's just doesn't work. And he looks bad. And, you know, uh, it's the kind of thing where you don't really see an immediate future with him. He seems like the kind of guy who's more of a three year project than a guy who could help out this year or next year. you don't have to keep him in the bullpen and on the team the entire season. You could theoretically, you know, send him down then, and then he goes to waivers. And if you lose him, you lose him. But if that's something that they're prepared to do, like it's fully within their power to do that. So it isn't like if he makes the team, you're committed to him holding that eighth pen spot for the entire season. Right. If he makes it and you don't like what you see, and you don't think that there's a future there, it's like, you could give him back to the Red Sox. You know, it isn't like the kind of commitment that I think people are making it out to be where he has to, they have to decide whether he's part of the 2022 or 2023, like October team right now, you know, they could always just kick that can down the road and see if they like what they see in the first month or two. And if they don't, they tried it. It was worth the, the risk and it just didn't quite work out. And that's what the rule five draft is for. Right. So it's, it's intriguing. I think obviously if they're, if, if they're looking for something that they want, you know, more of a sure bet on, unless he just looks, he wows at everybody in spring and they're like, this is the real deal now. And he could help out the team. Now. I, I would agree that he probably has a long shot to make the team, but it doesn't seem like the binding commitment where if he makes the roster now, like they're, they're, they're stuck to this now and they can't waver off of that because, I mean, I think if, if you were to set reasonable expectations now, you would say, again, it was worth the, the rule five pick. It was worth the risk just to see what he has. But right now his biggest value is probably as a trade chip, right? Because he's a long shot to make the roster. He hasn't pitched in three years when he did pitch, he said it felt kind of rough, which is un- understandable, but it's just, you know, the way things are when you don't throw for three years. So yeah. Yeah but my whole point is like, it's, it's worth seeing what they have with him. If he, if he looks good and he becomes somebody who could be a mainstay in the pen and somebody that you don't ever want to send down during the season, like great, you know, they don't have to have that. They don't have to have somebody there. Who's going to be able to be sent down five times if they think he's going to be one of the top options in the bullpen. And, you know, he would only miss time if he's on the injured list or something like that. But if you try it out, like they can, they can try it out in spring training. And if they're not completely sold, but they're not completely out either, they can put them on the team and throw them into some low leverage spots early in the season. And if, again, if they really don't like what they see, they can cut the tie. Then it, it, it doesn't have to be the kind of thing that they, that they make the decision about in spring training, right? That's, he's a long shot of course, but, I don't think that that the thing holding him back should be the fact that they can't send him down because they can try it out if they don't like it. It was worth the risk, but it didn't work out. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from. I do think the idea of picking Noah Song in the Rule 5 draft is that they want to take him permanently from the Red Sox. So if they do have him on the team and they have him pitch in some low leverage situations, and then... Um, it's obvious that it's not going to work out just because he hasn't pitched in three years. Um, Maybe uh, they had a a top of the rotation grade on him when he was a prospect. Uh, Maybe they, they just can't see that from the short time they have. So um, they have to put him on waivers and maybe he gets traded or maybe the Red Sox buy him back. But I I don't know if they'll actually do that because I, I think they want to keep Noah song and they want to, uh, Give yeah, it sure. to the Red Sox, which would be really, really funny. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm just like I'm of the opinion that he's probably not going to be on their team. There's so many guys, whether it's just like waiver claims, like Andrew Vasquez and Eric Eulman and uh, Louis Ortiz and non-roster invitees, like Lewis Head and John T. Planter, um, young guys. Like Nick Nelson, Bailey Falter, like there's so many guys that are in this conversation that could be the final pitcher on the roster. It's something that I I wrote about a few weeks ago, so it's very difficult for me to see them give a roster spot to Noah Song. So I think like ultimately the end result of this is him getting put on waivers and going back to the Red Sox, or he he legit does get hurt. Like I, I think that's a a, yeah. a real possibility and. I know Dave Dombrowski said in the press conference, that's something that they don't want to happen, but it's something that will benefit them. It at least gives them a little bit more time to, to see where he is. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's very difficult for me to see him on the team when there's so many other options that they have.
1: Yeah. I know there's, there's been talk about the sort of like phantom IL stints, which I think they have guardrails in place to, to prevent that from happening. Um, but as you said, it is true that there's a legit injury. Like they don't even have to make something up. And he's he hasn't pitched in three years. He said it felt rough. Maybe that's something that, you know, in a weird way, you obviously don't want to see a guy get hurt. But um, if that were to happen, they would have a little more flexibility with the roster. So that's an interesting storyline to follow. I'm, I'm excited to see him get into a game um, to see how he looks against, you know, minor league or major league um, opposition. So... That was certainly a twist in a, in a camp that's not really filled with a ton of competitions. Um, You know, fun to see something like that because now we can talk about more than the fifth starter, which is an exciting conversation because of who's in the mix for that spot. But then like the final bench spot, like, is it Dalton Guthrie? Or is it Jake cave who Jake cave actually looks, looks quite good, but um, well, let's just say we've entered spring training camps with a little more intrigue than there is this one, which is a good problem to have. So Um, certainly no one's complaining about that I guess as we wrap up here um, that was kind of all we had all I had for the agenda at least is there anything else that sort of stood out to you from from being down there at camp or storylines to follow over the next couple weeks or just general thoughts about where the team is at heading into the season Um, things that you noticed I'll I'll leave the floor to you as we wrap things up here
0: yeah I do want to talk about Trey Turner and yeah just his presence at camp and how he fits in with the club. So one of the first things that I actually got to watch at spring training was on the backfields, the position players were doing some base running drills and Paco Figueroa was running that. Um, the whole time you could hear Paco yelling body control, body control. And these guys are just running from home to first and first to third and then third to home on a sacrifice fly. Um, And it was really interesting to see all the guys running the line. It was it reminded me of uh, some like something you would do in Little League. But anyway, um, I saw Trey Turner run to first, and honestly, it's kind of a it kind of blew my mind just how incredible it was to watch him move. And um, one of the things that came to mind was that like he's a figure skater on the diamond. Um, Just the way he could control his body and the amount of speed he could get. Alec Bone was the guy that was actually running ahead of him and Alkbohm isn't a slow guy at all. He's, he's got some speed, but you know, Trey Turner was trying not to like, you know, run past him. So um, it was something small. And I posted a little bit of video of Trey Turner running. Um, and that's something small that excited me about Philly's camp. And we saw it a little bit over the weekend when Trey Turner hit a single, he sold the base and then he scored from second. Um, I think that's something Philly's fans could get used to especially with the new rules and the bigger bases and the lack of pickoffs. I, I think Trey Turner is going to steal a lot more bases than he did in the Dodgers. Cause if you look at his totals um, when he was with Los Angeles, like he didn't steal a lot of bases um, that could be just part of the way the Dodgers lineup was constructed and their philosophy on base running. But um, even before the rule change, the Phillies were a team that really had this down to a science they were able to squeeze like 10 or so stolen bases out of Kyle Schwarber and JT was super efficient in that realm. So um, it's it's interesting hearing Rob Thompson talk about it because a lot of people think there's going to be this explosion in in, in stolen bases, but it, it might go up a little bit and that's, that's kind of how Rob Thompson feels about it. So um, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see Trey work the bases this year. Um, it was also... It was interesting to see how him and Bryson Stott were kind of um, working together. I know, like a lot of times when the the infielders will do their work, it would be like Alec Boehm at third, reset first, and Scott Kingridge at short, and Josh Harrison at second, and then Bryson Stott and Trey Turner will kind of will kind of work together um, just so they could get you know they could get familiar familiar with each other because they're going to be a double pair partnering for the next five years or so um and it's interesting to see how how well Turner fits into this group already um sometimes like Turner will like he'll walk onto the field and guys will be like oh my god it's Trey Turner and like tease him that way um and kind of get under his skin and um it, it feels like Turner's like been here for a while. Like it doesn't feel like he's this like new shiny object, um, which I, I think is a good sign. Um, he's obviously played with a lot of the guys on the team as a division rival. He's very familiar with a lot of the guys that he hasn't played with. So um, yeah, it was just something really small. Maybe it was a little bit dorky, but I just, I loved watching Trey Turner run the bases. And I think a lot of Phillies fans will, um the girl used to it but I I think it'll also be like a sight to behold the first time he does that slide into home
1: yeah yeah he had so he had 20 27 steals in 160 games last year now with the rule changes but also he's wearing those like oven mitts on on I think both hands that like those things are long I don't know how those are legal because that gives you like an extra probably half a foot like those things are huge and uh when you couple those two things it looks like he's gonna he should be able to run wild this year I know he's 30 now, but you know, he's 30, he's not 40. So I think it should be it really, okay it doesn't look like he years. lost a
0: step at all. Yeah. Really? Which. Yeah. That could have been a concern going into this contract that he's at this peak speed. He can't really get any faster, but if that continues for the next two years, I, I think, um, you know, obviously once he's 40, he's not going to be the fastest player in the league. Like I would just be for if that was the case, but yeah. he's still a pretty fast player and he can take advantage of these rules
1: yeah he played his first game yesterday um and worked a full count to lead off the first he got a base hit stole second and then scored easily on a base hit the next guy so um you know and then he did he played again today tuesday and he worked a 3-1 count got a base hit to lead off the first inning there so i'm i'm all for like the modern i was into Schwarber leadoff last year. Um, and I would be again this year. I'm all for the modern, like the new school approach to the leadoff spot, but, um, I, I don't think the Phillies should overthink this one. And I don't think that they will. It seems like Thompson's already committed to Turner, um, at the top of the lineup without Harper. And I find it hard to imagine that like, if Turner produces there, Harper comes back and he's going to say, okay, we're just going to move you to like two or three now. So, um, Seems like they're pretty set there. I know that was more of a conversation over the off season, but it seems like things are, it it sounds pretty set that Trey Turner is going to be hitting lead off. And I think it's, it's, it's the right call, not just because of what we've seen in spring training, but he just profiles so well in that spot. So should be fun to watch.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right. He's not going to overthink this. Trey Turner is going to lead off and Kyle Schroeder is going to hit second. I, I did ask Rob, um, if he still likes the idea of Schwarber and Hoskins hitting back to back, and he pretty much said the rest of the lineup is still to be determined, but I, I wrote out a version of a lineup just as an example. And I was like, wow, even with Bryce Harper out, it's still a pretty deep lineup talking about, you know, Brandon Marsh hitting ninth or Bryson Stott hitting ninth and Alec Bohm at the bottom. And if he hits for power, the way it looks like he can this year, then it's a pretty lethal lineup. And then when you add Bryce in the middle of the summer, um this could this could be, I would think it would be the best lineup in Philly's history and definitely one of the best in the league this year.
1: I'm still in on on cleanup Castellanos, which is like my hottest take. Whenever I send people my like mock mock lineups of they're always well, like, first of all, he needs can't... to
0: hit like period before we talk about yeah. him in the, the clean off spot. But I don't
1: know, did you see that like in inside out opposite field homer a couple of days ago?
0: Yeah. Good. Um, and, and I would say like just watching him in batting practice, he did look a little bit better last year and watching him in camp. I, I was impressed with the way the ball was leaving the bat and just how hard he was hitting the ball and how consistently he was hitting out of the, out of the ballpark. But um, that's just batting practice in spring. Um, I don't want to be yeah. duped into anything, but I would say so far, there's some encouraging signs, but we just have to see, how he deals with off-speed pitches in the beginning of the year, especially. And um, does he crush those balls down the middle? Um, does he just learn from what happened last year? And is he more comfortable with the Phillies, which I think based on just how he was in the postseason, he was getting more comfortable, even though there wasn't necessarily the results at the plate. I, I think that's encouraging as well. So um, we'll see. Just, yeah. I'm not ready to, to talk about him as more of a, a cleanup hitter. I, I see him more as like a, a five or six guy.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's definitely fair. You kind of want to see a little bit more until committing to that, but that I think is going to be all the time we have for today, unless we left anything out. Um, thank you for joining the pod to talk about everything you noticed down in what seems like a very fun, lively, energetic Philly spring training thus far. Um, We'll be coming at you with more episodes as we get closer to the season. Um, but until then, thank you for thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time.